0: It's a foot race, and Crowder is in there! A 69-yard touchdown. Darnold escapes,
1: trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught! Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit the immediately and got the handoff. You know and it's... <laughs> The q Oh my gosh! Listen,
3: thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the Jets Browns pregame report. This is the final home game of the year for the Jets, although it's weird because you wouldn't really know the difference since there are no fans allowed. And of course, to talk about this, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mister Chris Nimbly. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, hold on,
1: hold on. I'm just gotta work my way up under out of this all this uh, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance tape. I'm currently buried in. (laughs) Um, No, that's that's about it. And I'm actually lying because I haven't gotten to the tape yet. Just getting ready to just fully bury myself in this tape and have all the takes to fire off for you guys. But right now, you know, we're just gonna have to sit there. And and just wallow, and you guys are gonna have to wallow in your misery for a little bit longer to recover from the Trevor Lawrence losing, most likely losing out on him. But it does look like there's gonna be some uh, some tempting options there at quarterback elsewhere. So at least you can get a little excited about that.
3: A lot to come in the Jets offseason, no question. You've got free agency, the draft, and, of course, the coaching search, and we will get to all of that once the season is over with. But for now, final home game of the year against the Browns. Let's talk injuries And if you've been injured because of somebody else's negligence, then you know that can be a life-changing event. And when that happens, you want a strong legal team fighting for you to make sure you receive full compensation for your injuries. You want to be able to call your legal team whenever you want. You don't want your file to be on a shelf with hundreds of others, and you don't want your lawyers to be afraid to go to court. Here's what you do want. The legal team at Faruqi and Faruqi. They give every client their personal cell phone number to call 24-7. They limit the number of clients they represent at one time. They have a long track record of taking on insurance companies, corporations, and the government in court. And best of all, they have a long track record of winning. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Learn more about them at nylegalteam.com. That's nylegalteam.com. And Chris, really not a lot going on with the injuries. We already talked earlier in the week about Quentin Williams going on IR. That's a shame because he had such a great season, but it's much better that he rests and gets completely healthy. However, he will have a replacement on the defensive line as Foley Fadikasi comes back because he was out last week due to the coronavirus protocols. He's in, so Nathan Shepard, who played for Fadikasi last week, will now play for and Williams. Is there anything else I missed? That seemed to be really the major injury situation with the Jets, right?
1: Yeah, it's pretty it's a, a light injury report so far. Quinnin Williams on there, but he's we we already talked about that. He's on IR now. Javelin Guidry is also has a knee injury. He's been a little banged up. Uh I know he didn't practice early in the week. We'll see if he's able to go for the game. Uh but yeah, so it, it's a light injury report this week.
3: Prediction time, Chris. I think the Browns are going to come in here and wipe the floor with the Jets. I think the Jets had their Super Bowl last week, they got their big win, and now I think they're going to fade away into Bolivian, as Mike Tyson liked to say. We did get the crazy last minute news that because of coronavirus protocols, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, the three best receivers that the Browns have, not counting Odell Beckham, who's obviously already out for the year, Are not going to be able to play So clearly that will help the Jets I think they'll at least put up a fight For part of this game But the Browns are just too talented Their offensive line is going to push around the Jets without Quinn and Williams. That tandem of Chubb and Hunt should do some real damage. And then on defense, I fully expect Miles Garrett to give Sam Darnold a workout all day. I think the Browns will probably win this one, something along the lines of 27-10. Like I said, I think the Jets will be competitive early on, but eventually the Browns will pull away.
1: I want to start by talking about how this year, I is I've never gotten more things right about the NFL than I have this year. Uh, I've, I've gotten almost everything pretty de- damn close to right about the Jets this year. And I couldn't have possibly been more wrong last week. Because this, this time last week, I was talking about how I think the Browns are the sneaky team that they might actually beat. Just because they're still the Browns. And uh, if there's one team that would lose to the Owen 14 Jets, if this would have been the case it would be the Browns. No matter how good you think they are, they they would still find a way to end up uh, losing that game and give the winless team their first win. But now that that's over, I have all the confidence in the world that the Browns are going to do 2020 Browns stuff, and they're going to run all over the Jets. And I mean that literally, because Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are probably each going to have 100-and-something yards. Um, I know the Jets' defense doesn't – Get gashed like that on the ground But I think that Browns are just going to Overpower them The Browns defense is not very impressive Miles Garrett hasn't even looked that great Since he's come back from the COVID But the Jets offense and People were talking about Sam Darnold In the offense last week And they still barely cracked 200 yards Passing uh, They're not not—they're not going to be able to do enough to win this game The Browns are going to win this easy um, I, I, 30-10 sounds about right
3: with that, Chris, let's jump into the mailbag, and we'll start with Brian Gowiski, who asks, "Was Chris ever a Jets fan?" I'm pretty sure the answer to that is no, right, Chris?
1: No, the answer to that is is actually yes. Oh, um, so I, I want to try to see, do I take you through the my entire history of fandom here, or see I am I'm weird uh, fan wise with all sports. Number one, it's, there's a lot to do with the fact that I've always kind of rooted for players more than teams, but I also moved around a lot as a kid. So I've been a Yankee fan my whole life because my dad was a Yankee fan, and I was that was the first team, and I stuck with that. But when I first started paying attention to basketball, I lived in California, and Magic Johnson, I was a Lakers fan. But then I moved to Houston, kind of had an affinity for the Rockets when I went to games there, then in New Jersey. I I just adopted the Jets the Nets <clears throat> and when I first started paying attention to football it was when I was lived outside of Houston I was an Oilers fan I was Warren Moon fan and even when I moved to Jersey I stayed an Oilers fan but then they moved to Tennessee and I sat there being like all right do I stay with te- them Or do I move? Then they traded Warren Moon to the Vikings. And I said, I need a whole new team. (laughs) (laughs) And then I did what, you know, people do is I picked the team that was local. And I couldn't pick the I knew at at this point, I couldn't bandwagon on the Giants. So I had to go with the Jets. But then shortly after that, I adopted my uh, college basketball motto, which is really uh, college basketball. I was a you're an LV fan one year, a Carolina fan another year, a Michigan fan one year, which, which was really hard because there's no team in sports. I hate more than Michigan football, but I love the Fab five. So I was, I rooted for them. So I, I always just kind of rooted for whatever team I like watching the most. There were certain teams that I always hated and they're basically all the Boston teams. Um, that comes in large part to doing two years, my first two years of college right outside of Boston. Um, but I've always just kind of been like, yeah, let me just root for the teams I like watching the most. So the fandom was always a weird thing with me, and I never got fully invested in it. And it there's a, uh, I subscribe to Bamani Jones's theory about getting off that narcotic where if a fa- if a team is bringing you nothing but misery, then you need to get off that narcotic. And it, it ain't they ain't bringing you any joy. So I, I uh, decided to just, Aaron Rodgers was a big part of that too. I was like, you know what? I can just root for Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is awesome. And now I do that with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com.
3: Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
3: Next question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, how much of a red flag would you need to overlook talent? A past shoulder surgery, arm angle on throws potentially leading to more shoulder surgeries, and a reluctance to change said arm angle would be enough for me. And he is obviously referring to Zach Wilson, who had a torn labrum and had surgery for that a couple of years ago. Here's what I'll say about that. Does it give me flashbacks to Chad Pennington? Sure. Any Jets fan would be a little bit nervous, or any fan of any team that would be considering drafting Zach Wilson would be a little nervous hearing that. However, that's what doctors are for. The doctors are the ones that can tell you if that's some sort of problem you should be concerned about. The doctors can tell you if the arm angle is something that would exacerbate it. So that's really what my answer is. If you really like his tape and you think he's going to be an excellent quarterback, rely on the medical professionals to tell you whether or not it's a substantial medical risk. If they tell you it is, then pass. If they tell you it isn't, then don't pass. That's really all there is to it. And thankfully, we happen to have a medical expert who is a frequent guest on this show and a friend of mine, Dr. Steven Stoller, former 35-year orthopedic surgeon. He's performed a ton of sports surgeries. I asked him if he would be concerned about Zach Wilson's previous surgery for the torn labrum, and he said, Not at all. Usually a torn labrum is in the front of the shoulder. Results are very good with arthroscopic repair. Drew Brees tore his labrum front and back his last game with the Chargers. And look at his career. I was with Dr. James Andrews, who operated on Drew Brees, when Nick Saban, as coach of the Dolphins, chose Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees because he thought Breeze was damaged goods. Dr. Andrews was pissed. Then I asked Dr. Stoller if he would be nervous at all about the arm angles that Zach Wilson takes when he throws the ball. Dr. Stoller said, no, not at all. If the labrum is healed properly, he should be fine. The sidearm angles are less stressful to that part of the shoulder. Loading up the football behind his ear puts the shoulder in the worst position possible, similar to a pitcher. And in addition to his medical opinion, Dr. Stoller had a funny story for me. Apparently he's staying in a hotel in Jupiter, Florida while his house is being finished. And while he was in the hotel, he ran into the BYU football team was staying there because of the bowl game. He saw Zach Wilson in the BYU team. He told Zach Wilson he was a huge Jets fan. And he hoped that the Jets drafted him. Apparently, Wilson and his teammates got a good chuckle out of that. Dr. Stoller also added that he thinks that the Jets should definitely take Zach Wilson, thinks his ceiling is very high, and that he's much better than Justin Fields. So there you go. There's some medical expertise from our man, Dr. Stoller, who also, as a football fan, believes that the Jets should take Zach Wilson if they wind up with the number two overall pick. Next question comes in from John Filippelli And this is an awesome question I love this He says Best TV Christmas episode Going to be tough to top Festivus Yeah, that's the answer There are a lot of really good ones Psych did some really fun Christmas stuff But Festivus is the all-time champ
1: Yeah, it's gotta be I mean, The Office had The uh, the Secret Santa one was really good uh, there, There's some other ones But yeah, I don't How you beat in Festivus?
3: Next question comes in from Return of the Green Go. He says, Is Brian Dable the only NFL coordinator the Jets will consider for head coach? I don't see Joe Brady being a realistic option. Now, this question is not who they should consider. It's who they will consider. So I would say... No, they will consider several coordinators I think they're going to cast a wide net You'll see plenty of coordinators from both sides of the ball Wink Martindale is a defensive coordinator He will get some consideration Robert Sallow will probably get consideration There are other defensive coordinators Perhaps Matt Eberfluss, the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. And part of that is, you know, the Colts front office relationship with the Jets front office. So there will be plenty of people that will get consideration that are coordinators. I don't think Dable will be the only one.
1: Yeah. I think that Arthur Smith, the Tennessee offensive coordinator is another guy. Uh, I do agree. I think I, I could see Joe uh, Brady getting consideration, not just for the Jets, but uh, other teams. But I do think it's a little early. I, I, I would say that Joe Brady's probably not going to get hired this time around. But in the running interview consideration, sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not a terribly long list of coordinators this year. But they're gonna they're gonna do the do due diligence, <laughs> and i i I'd, I'd guess that they're going to reach out to everybody that we named at least. Uh, reach out to them with the exception of maybe Joe Bradys uh and then they'll they'll probably bring most of them in for interviews um but they're but again they're going to go the college look the college route as well that i think you're going to see them you know <clears throat> really go with like Every, try to get everything covered You're going to have Equal amounts of Offensive coordinators Defensive coordinators College coaches More CO types I think they're going to Try to dip the toe With a little bit Of everything
3: Next question comes in From John Flesh He says Rank these movies National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation A Christmas Story Home Alone And Elf So I would say National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Is probably one Home Alone is two Christmas Story three And Elf is four But Above all of those, number one of all time, of course, is the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard.
1: All right. So our list is, uh, differs a little bit in the one in four spot because you got to flip them for me. Uh, uh, now, this, this, the, the interesting part about this question is you would get like seven different answers if depending on what point of my life you asked me this. When I was younger, Christmas Story would have been number one most of the time. I've watched too many TBS going to the playing it for like 24 straight hours. That was the worst thing that ever happened because now I almost hate that movie. I've seen it so much. (laughs) Home Alone would have been one at at one point, but it's Elf. For me, it's Elf number one, Home Alone number two, A Christmas Story number three and National Lampoon's number four.
3: Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He says, is there a way to judge these college QBs under NFL pressure? They all look great, but seem to have all day back there and wide open targets. There are definitely games where these guys don't have wide open targets, and there are definitely games where they don't have all day to throw. And there are definitely days where they have to throw into tight windows. You really want to look at all the tape because when you do, you'll see that. And granted, it won't be the bulk of the tape. Most of the tape is going to be exactly what you described. But if you watch the parts of the tape that show what I just talked about, you can at least start to get an idea for what that player is like under pressure in adverse circumstances. Now, they're going to face it a heck of a lot more in the NFL, so you're projecting but that's why it's so important to really dig in on the tape, because when you do, that's when you'll start to see more of that stuff.
1: Okay, so everything you just said, I'm going to uh, just pretend I repeated it. And now I will <laughs> add that this isn't anything new. This, this is the what the situation is every year with quarterbacks that every quarterback that's ever been drafted and every quarterback's been evaluated because the talent disparity in college is so huge. Like Peyton Manning played eight games a year against no pass rush, against no type of defense. Like that, all these players do that. And then they have a couple games where things get tricky for them. Um, That you're always going to be able to find a couple of those games in there. The one what I will just always say is, you know, Zach Wilson earlier in the week at his bowl game and he played really well. Uh, People were just like, yeah, but look at how bad this defense is. He's throwing against nobody. You evaluate the traits. You evaluate the throws. You evaluate all that stuff. And you don't when you're evaluating the player you're not paying attention to the defense as much. You're just evaluating the player against it and how they're reacting to stuff. And the throw is the throw that touchdown. He threw in like the third quarter. Like, I I don't care what defense he did that against that throw was insane. Um, and Justin Fields, I've said this earlier in the year that the thing that concerned me about fields was that, Everything is always easy for him. And it has always been easy for him. And I pointed that out because it was a rarity that he never faced any type of pressure. And I say this and the people will be like, oh, same with Trevor Lawrence. He's got an all-star team around him. No, things get messy with Trevor Lawrence. They very rarely do with Fields. And they got messy in two games with Fields this year. And he looked really bad in both. I think long-term, that is actually kind of a good thing for Fields. Not for his draft stock, but this gives him an early chance to identify things he needs to work on and get better from. Um, But the the reality is, like, college, you're not going to face NFL-type pass rush every every week. It's just there's no quarterback that has faced that ever. Uh, So, like, don't get bogged down in – oh, they're not playing elite competition every week because none of these quarterbacks are. Trevor Lawrence, the ACC stinks, like is, is te- terrible. The Clemson doesn't play a lot of good teams, but then they get to the playoffs and play the good teams and they smoke them because they're just better than everybody else. So there's plenty of games where everything is easy for Trevor Lawrence – But there's also plenty of them where things are messy and he has to overcome that. You would like to see fields uh, navigate more through there. Um, And you know that if you draft them, that's the main thing you have to work on. But the, I, I wouldn't get too caught up in stuff like level of competition. We've seen quarterbacks from small schools before, you know, uh, Nobody ever thought of my Amy of Ohio quarterback would do anything. Ben Roethlisberger is just now seeing his way out the league seventeen years into it after a Hall of Fame career. So I think people get like to use those things and focus on those things on a player that they're not sold on or on a player that they don't like. But the reality is like if the player's good, none of that stuff matters. Um and I just, I think that you're, you're going to focus on that and it, it's really kind of irrelevant.
3: Next question comes in from AJ Tranzano. He says, thoughts on bringing Jeremy Bates back to work with Sam Darnold. Am I crazy? I thought he did well with him. I don't think Bates has been in the NFL since he left the Jets. Wonder what he's up to. I know after his last stint, he traveled a lot. I think he's good with quarterbacks. Maybe he could be a quarterback developer privately like Jordan Palmer if he wanted to. I get that Jeremy Bates did a better job with Sam Darnold than Adam Gase and Dowell Loggins. That's not even remotely questionable. However, I would hope that if you're keeping Sam Darnold, you would aim a little bit higher. It's not that Bates is the worst option in the world, but I don't think that you need to be going into the woods and pulling him away from eating granola in order to bring him back to coach Sam Darnold. I think there are better options out there.
1: Well, I'm just, I I think there's better options because I, I don't think you want to like hire an elite tracking unit to try and track him down and find him (laughs) in the mountains (laughs) of wherever he is. Like, I don't know that you can just pull his cell phone number out the old Rolodex and hit him up. Uh, Listen, as a QB coach, I'm cool with Jeremy Bates. Uh, And not for the Jets, for anybody. Cool. You could do a lot worse. He is a good quarterbacks coach. And I I do love the idea of him being like a a, a Jordan Palmer and like, you know, maybe actually being able to do good with most of his his players. Um, But I also think that he's just going to enjoy wandering around in the mountains and the woods. Um, I I always got a big kick out of Jeremy Bates when he was the offensive coordinator talking to the media um, because – he was so uncomfortable talking to us and I could relate. Cause if I was in his position with everyone firing questions at me, I would have, I'd like, Oh, I would be acting exactly how he is now. So I always got a kick out of it, but let me tell you something. He he's, I think he's pretty damn happy in the woods.
3: Before we go, let's try and put a few bucks in your pocket, courtesy of my buddy Walter Cherapinski over at WalterFootball.com. He's got your Sunday gambling picks. Walter, let's make some people money this Sunday. Welcome to the show, my man.
2: Thanks, Scott. So last week I talked about how I thought the Rams might overlook the Jets because they had the Seahawks coming up this week. I didn't think they win outright. Now, that, that was unbelievable, and the Jets uh, lost the number one pick overall. Um, but I don't think they're going to win again, I and I'm not sure they're going to cover against the Browns. They're 9.5-point underdogs against Cleveland. Uh, the Browns might be looking ahead to playing the Steelers, but I think there's a better chance the Jets to show up flat. Uh, the Jets have, um, you know, we, we've heard from some of their players say that they're so happy they won the game. So I don't know how much game planning there will be against this Cleveland team. I, I'm not going to bet this game, but I w- but I would take the Browns at minus nine and a half. So uh, speaking of how the Jets uh, lost the number one pick, I don't know if that's going to be permanent because I think there's a decent chance the Jaguars win one of their final two games, as odd as it sounds. So this week I think they could beat the Bears. Uh, the Bears are not that good. They're seven and seven. Uh, they've had some lucky wins early in the year, so they could be four and twelve, five and five and eleven right now. Uh, you know they played a close game against Minnesota so they could have lost that one as well and speaking of Minnesota the Jaguars went into Minnesota a few weeks ago and they almost beat the Vikings they took the game to overtime Uh, so I I think this is you know this is a close game I don't think the Bears are seven and a half point uh points better than the Jaguars are in Jacksonville and plus the Bears have to play the Packers next week so they could totally overlook the Jaguars and you know we just saw the Jets beat the Rams and we saw the Bengals beat the Steelers why can't the Jaguars beat the Bears as you know Trubisky could easily implode so I think there I, I you know I think there's a decent chance the Jaguars win uh so I love them at seven and a half so that that's one of my top plays this week also like the Steelers so speaking of the Steelers, uh, uh, they, they, they absolutely got humiliated on national TV. I like good or great teams coming off embarrassing losses, especially on national TV. Uh, they, they're playing the Colts. They're plus one and a half. They were minus three on the look ahead line. And now that that line has moved four and a half points, uh, that's way too much. Uh, the Colts uh, have some injury issues. So I think the Steelers could take advantage of that. I remember last year, the Steelers hosted the Colts uh, with Mason Rudolph playing quarterback, and they beat the Colts. Uh, so I, I think Pittsburgh uh, should win this game and bounce back. Also, like Atlanta. Plus eleven against the Chiefs. It, it, I know it's scary to go against the Chiefs, but not really. The, the last time the Chiefs won by more than a touchdown was week eight against the Jets. And Atlanta obviously better than the Jets. So I think they can hang around uh, with the Chiefs. Uh, the, you know, the Chiefs have played some close games, and so is Atlanta. Atlanta lost to the Saints by only five points. Uh, they almost beat the Buccaneers last week. And Matt Ryan, you know, if he's in a deficit, he can he can throw some touchdowns late in the game to cover the spread. So I, I like Atlanta plus eleven. Um, also like the Eagles minus two and and a half in Dallas. Uh, Dallas has gotten so lucky recently. Uh, they, they beat the Bengals and the 49ers, but they got seven turnovers in that in those two games. And yet they were outgained by both those teams. Like this Cincinnati and San Francisco outgained Dallas. Like so that, that kind of tells you how bogus those wins were. Uh, meanwhile the Eagles have been a lot better with Jalen Hurst. So I, I think Philadelphia wins that game. I also like the Bills minus seven against the Patriots on Monday night. Uh, so this is the first time the Patriots are going to be playing a game uh, in which they've been eliminated from the playoffs since 2000 uh, obviously they didn't make the playoffs in 02 and 08 but they got eliminated in week 17 in both those years so I think there's going to be a quit factor here they have nothing to play for and plus Stefan Gilmore's out so they, they won't be able to cover the Bills excellent receivers so I think the Bills are going to win this game easily Monday night so those are the walterfootball.com week 16 picks against the spread back to you Scott
3: thanks Walter and thank you for listening if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in your Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.
0: 18 plus.